This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me this week is a new voice on the network, but one familiar to Enterprise fans who listened to the most recent episode of The Ready Room, where we talked about Enterprise. It's Tyler Johnson. Hey, Tyler, how's everything going tonight? Great. Excited to be here. Good. Well, you know, I I brought along your favorite blue ale to keep us refreshed as we record the show, but it's not Romulan ale, of course. It's Andorian ale. Yeah, do you think that people drink Andor- the Andorians drink that to keep themselves warm or to keep themselves cold? I never was quite sure. I think it's antifreeze, basically. And so <laughs> I think it's to keep them warm in, in that cold environment, especially when they have to trek up there to talk to the Enar. Right, yeah. W- warm, like, five degrees below zero. <laughs> right. <warm. laughs> it's always interesting to me when they pour the Andorian ale because it... Being blue, and we're accustomed to the Romulan ale, especially as it was highlighted in the Undiscovered Country. But it's it's the thing about the Andorians is that they are all blue. I mean, they just go all out every single year on Andoria. Pantone comes, space Pantone. They come out. The trend of the year is blue. It's just different <laughs> shades of blue. <laughs> you probably can't see him in all the ice either. Where, where are all the Andorians? <laughs> right. I can't see anybody. They're still blending in. <laughs> Oh, goodness. They they really go all out. Blue blood, even just in everything. Yeah. And I'm I'm really excited to talk about them. I, I, you know, I they're it, for people who don't like Enterprise or for people who, I don't know, think Star Wars can get a little hooky. I think the Andorians are actually great. I think it's, um, I, you know, the, there's there's something about them that they're more developed in less episodes than some of the other characters are and more some yeah. of the other races are and more I, I think they're really cool blue blue skin and all <laughs> but that's thanks to enterprise and the the thing about the andorians is that it's and they're kind of like the vulcans in the sense as well one of the most famous races in star trek thanks to the original series episode journey to babel but they're one of the most undeveloped races of the what I call the main races. Like if you ask someone, name some alien races from Star Trek, pretty much everyone's going to list Andorians as one of the races. But yet we get them four times in TOS and or, yeah, four times, three other times besides Journey to Babel. And they were in the animated series twice. And then they, they have kind of cameo roles in the motion picture and the voyage home and then that's it until you get to tng and then even then you get that weird holographic representation of an andorian when law is trying to decide what they they looked a lot less tough she's too. they be. were a lot more fuzzy and like little teddy bears on tng the few times you saw them yeah well the one in the holodeck when mm-hmm. law is looking at it it's almost like a bad 60s sci-fi alien with the cap on like it's it's mm-hmm. it's like a guy wearing the cap it's like my favorite right. martian or something like that it doesn't right. look like an andorian to me yeah you know when i think back on the original series that it's exactly what you said andorians really come to mind as a really strong presence as part of that one of the aliens and then you go back and, and they don't really do a lot you know they're not in that many episodes but, but they were just really memorable at the time i don't know if it's the makeup you know, or what it was, but uh, they really stuck in my mind more than a lot of the other aliens that were out there. I think it's the makeup. 
That's what I've, I've always felt because there's something endearing about the design of the Andorians. Uh, the same with the Tellarites, the way that they really stuck with us as Star Trek fans, even though they're rarely used. It all goes back to Journey to Babel. There's just something magical about that episode and, and whoever appeared in there, except for the munchkins, the little uh, <laughs> chocolate factory munchkin guys that were in there or Wizard of Oz, uh, right. wherever you want to place them. Uh, right. Don't see them very much anymore. Well, in, the, in their very first episode, you were happy that there was a there was a fight scene too, right? Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> one episode down, one Andorian fight scene, check. <laughs> That's right. That's where Kirk calls the bridge. I've been attacked by an Andorian. <laughs> and, and that gave birth to, to, at least we talk about this on the Ready Room, we want to remaster the original series once again and actually put an Andorian fight scene in every episode of the series. And, you know, one of my favorites that was suggested by uh, one of our colleagues on the network, I uh, can't remember who came up with it at this point, is in the city on the edge of forever when McCoy is going to run out and save Edith Keeler. And it's not Kirk who stops him, but rather an Andorian fights him, <laughs> and therefore he can't get to Edith in time. <laughs> It, it'd be a fun Easter egg. You're just in the back of every scene, whenever they show a, a matte painting over in the corner, there's just Andorians fighting. <laughs> yes. Or on the, on the Blu-rays, like on the TOS Blu-rays, you have that little icon that appears so that you can switch to the original effects if something's been updated. You'd have like a little blue Andorian emoticon appear in the corner. And if you press the blue button on your remote <laughs> at that time, you can actually see the fight scene that's going on elsewhere in the episode. Right, exactly. There, somewhere, <laughs> all day, every day, there's an Andorian fighting somewhere. It's happening right. right now. Yeah, you know, and, well, and on the original Trek, too, uh, to your point about the makeup and, and how it's memorable. I mean, they were just sort of that 60s alien, I think, yeah. was part of it, too. You know, there was the green version that was on the Flintstones, and then there was the My Favorite oh, yeah. Martian, where, you know, his, his, his antenna would come up out of his head sometimes, but he could hide them. And antenna were just mm -hmm. what you were if you were alien. And so Star Trek, uh, maybe they borrowed them from another set. I don't know. Well, it, you're right. It was that, that 60s view of, of aliens, though, with the antenna. So so it was cool. What was your impression prior to Enterprise? What was your general feeling about the Andorians? Were they an alien race that you really wanted to know more about? I, I guess so. I mean, I just remember them like, oh, the, there were some cool aliens on there when I was a kid and I was watching it. And I, and again, I'd never really thought about them. Like they never, there's never any reason to go back and think about them until Enterprise. The, yeah. It was it was a little Easter egg they could drop into other episodes if you were a Super Trek fan. But you know, other than that, there wasn't a whole lot uh, of meat there. What did you think when you saw the Andorian incident on Enterprise, and you saw the Andorians come back in? Where like like I was really excited. I was like, oh, this is so cool, and. Because I was in Japan when Enterprise launched and it wasn't, of course, on TV uh, in first run here, like in the States. So I had to get my father to send me VHS tapes where he would record, you know, four episodes on a tape and mail it to me. So I knew ahead of time that oh, there's this episode called The Andorian Incident. I was so excited. And then I saw them walk in and I was just for me as a Star Trek fan and someone who grew up with TOS, I was really excited that they were going to bring these aliens back finally and, and do justice to them. Yeah, it was a big reveal. The first, I mean, it was definitely sort of a fan service. And I'm not the biggest fan of, of fan service, if you can say fan of fan service. But it's not my favorite in a lot of stuff. But the the opening of that show, they just bust through a door. And that's that's the cold start, right? There's Andorians. Yeah. Just wait. <laughs> and I, I thought it was great. I was really excited to see him again. And then, um, of course, having no idea that they were going to spend whatever it was, 15 more episodes developing them and, and making them into a real culture instead of just guys with antennas. I'm not sure that they knew they were going to do that either. I think <laughs> that that episode went over really well. Jeffrey Combs, of course, was brilliant as Shran. And they say, this is what we call Manny Koto's magic bag of hindsight, which is the bag from which he's pulled all the ideas that they were going to implement in season five if the show had continued. That's our our joke about that. But Shran was going to become an actual crew member of the ship in season five. 
which which yeah i learned that I on track fm everybody listen to track fm and you can learn things <laughs> <laughs> i learned that i think from an earlier episode of warp 5 um but I think that's now. because of Jeffrey Combs's performance as Shran. I, it's not that they ever set out to have an Andorian as a member of the crew, but he became such a fan favorite, such a dynamic character. He played off of Archer so well. And of course, you've got the built-in animosity between the Vulcans and the Andorians that they had developed. So it, it would have worked really well. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of hard to believe that they didn't plan it because it fits so well into, you know, here's... Uh, in Enterprise, you know, it's kind of about us going out for the first time and the, the the Vulcans are there and maybe they're holding us back or maybe they're just being parental, whatever they're being in that series. And then um, here's somebody who doesn't like the Vulcans. Like, how do you drop that in an episode? And they're just like, well, that's it. We're never going to talk about that again. It feels like part of a bigger plan. Um, like, maybe it's accidentally getting it right or something, but um, it, it was great. Well, we do know that the founding races of the Federation were the Andorians and the Vulcans and the Tellarites and the humans. And of course, we see a lot of other races there at the end in Demons and Terra Prime when they're having the conference. We see a lot of other races that we had never really thought of before as well. So it does make sense that you would bring them in the series and and develop that storyline. What I liked about it as we move more into it, Andorians on Enterprise, the uh, the fact that as a prequel series, and you know, we talk about, I guess Larry and I talked about this last week a little bit as well, but the idea of Enterprise as being a prequel series, where did it live up to the promise of that and the expectations of the fans and where did it fall short? And I think that the, the founding of the Federation got crammed into the end of the fourth season right because they ran out of time and we didn't get to mm. see it play out but in terms of setting events up to lead towards that having the andorians come in at the beginning of the series and establishing the history that they had with the vulcans establishing that there could be a dynamic between the andorians and the humans that was different than the dynamic between the humans and the vulcans and then you've got this sort of this triangle going on like a political triangle going on made a lot of sense and i think it enriched not only the andorians as aliens and their cultures but it enriched the vulcans as well yeah and the humans i think it, you know all of the all of those races are now more complicated on enterprise than they were before and they you know they've all got something to offer and they've all got you know, when I say complicated, they all have different factions within their own race that want different things. And um, it really makes it feel like more of a real universe. And I think, you know, kind of more more important than that to me, at least in talking about just the excitement of seeing them again was, you know, when they had the, the Klingons in the original series and then they put them in the movies and all of a sudden they came out with better effects and there's more to them and, and they were just more interesting in general. And it was like, oh, that's right. You can do that. You don't just have to have a, you know, a little mustache and call somebody something different. And so they took this idea where they had mm -hmm. antenna and they took this idea where they were blue and from someplace cold, or I don't even know if they were someplace cold when they were on the, the TOS. And they, they, they just made everything better and they made it feel like real people. You know, even the fact that the antennas kind of move around as they have different emotions, um, you know, it could have, it could have failed. <laughs> it could have failed really badly. And I think it works. It's a little, it's a little distracting sometimes, but I think for the most part it works. You're right. It could have failed. And that was my fear actually when, again, when I knew there was an episode called the Andorian incident, they were going to bring them on. I was really scared that they were going to be really cheesy. This Larry said this last week too. He had the same feeling really scared that the antenna, especially were mm -hmm. going to come off is really cheesy and that because if you look at Shras, for example, on the original series, he was, I think it's pretty cheesy looking, you know, it looks like metal uh, funnels coming right. out, you know, that have been painted blue coming up on, on his head. And 
it's like, okay, that works fine in the 60s. And when I watch TOS, it doesn't bother me because it fits within the context of that show. But if they were to do something, or even like what they did, as we were talking about earlier on TNG, if they were to do that with these characters that come in, it's going to be kind of uh, hard to swallow. And But it turns out that the the makeup design and the way they did the antenna really, really worked well and and even allowed them to add... I like the motorized antenna, I think, allowed them to add a lot to the physiology of the Andorians and the explanation of it and made them seem more real. You know, the way that the antenna uh, are used, the way they reflect uh, emotion, for example, and states of mind. The antenna feel real. Right. Yeah. However however bad it could have been if, if they'd gone wrong. How much worse would it have been if they were just wire things hanging off the top of their head, right? Like that would have, like they just kind of dangle around whenever they move. And you think, why did they even bother doing that? They should have just taken those off, you know. And if they, uh, I, you know, in that last episode, you guys, you guys did t- uh, touch on that. And I just kept thinking, if they were to get into a fight and one of them fell off, then they could just say, "There's a transmitter in there," just like in the. <laughs> well, I guess it's going to be later, but <laughs> that's where they always hide the transmitters. Right. <laughs> it's a prequel. <laughs> That's right. Yes. It's always in there. And that, then they have a mission to mm-hmm. to steal an Andorian transmitter, and they just <laughs> have to run up behind an Andorian and rip its antenna off and then beam out. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, probably Andorian little boys and little girls used to pull each other's antenna when they liked each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they have to wear socks over their antenna right. yeah, to, to be decent. Yeah. Well, you talk about the things dangling off. You've seen the image, I'm sure, of the makeup test for the mm-hmm. Star Trek The Motion Picture Andorian, where the antennas seem like they're much further up on the forehead, and they're just kind of, they're almost like little bugs bugs that have an, antennae that's very thin that just stick out on the sides. Yeah, they're a little ant-like, or like they're big eyebrows, kind of. Yeah, those that was a weird one, too. And didn't, didn't that, in that makeup test, she also had some crazy hair, Yeah, if I remember right. That was kind of weird. And there's the the one picture of her where she looks like old fashioned. It's like your great grandma was an Andorian, right? <laughs> sort so I'm of glad. Like I'm gl- basically, I'm glad they waited until they figured out how to do it right before. You know, they were sort of in the yeah. movies, and they were just like, "Hey, there's an Andorian," and moving on. But don't you think that DS9 should have incorporated Andorians into the Dominion War? Because who better to go and fight the Jim Hadar than Andorians? Oh yeah! That, oh my God! I don't know why I didn't think about this till right now. I mean, we're in trouble. <laughs> what are we going to do? And then off from the distance come the Andorians to save us. Yeah. You know, while there's a right. hundred Starfleet ships being blown up. Um, actually, that's a question I've always had, which was, you know, once there was a Federation of Planets, did, did everybody just kind of have the same ships after that? Did the Andorian ships go away and the Vulcan ships, they, yeah. those aren't around anymore. You know, one thing that is starting to answer that a little bit are these books that Christopher L. Bennett is writing that are, they're under the Enterprise name. It says on the cover, Star Trek Enterprise, and has Archer on the cover, but it's more of a general Star Trek book that's a transition. And you're starting to see the Andorians and the Vulcans and the Tellarites and the humans coming together. And it even explains how the uniform colors came about, you know, what was taken from the the Imperial Guard from the Andorians, for example, and incorporated. And one thing they're doing there, though, is getting other technologies on the starships to work together mm-hmm. on Starfleet vessels. And so I think to answer your question, what happened was that the primary vessels anyway did become Starfleet vessels and the crews may have been mixed or the crews may have been primarily from one world or another. And maybe they maintained their own science vessels here and there. Like the, I think you could think of it like civilian agencies or government agencies, but not the military might have their own ships that we never get to see because we're always focused on the Starfleet that, ships. That's kind of cool. I, I mean, I'm going to, you know, on, on a podcast like this, I feel like I should have read a, a ton of Star Trek books. It's not one of the things I've done. But I want to read that one now. That sounds really cool. Is, these are all questions I've had you should. forever. It's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Matthew and I do literary tricks together, mm-hmm. and that's all about Star Trek books and, and comics and such. And we were really excited when that book was in development, and then we've actually reviewed it on the show. But it's a, it's a really good book, and 
it's what I really recommend to any Star Trek fan, especially original series fans, even if you don't like Enterprise, just because it does bridge kind of what we're talking about or what we're going to talk about more as the show goes on tonight, how uh, these races came together to form the Federation. It's, it's, it's a really nice book. While we're talking about ships, though, I, I did want to ask you, what did you think about the Andorian ships here that we see in Enterprise, both the exterior design of them and especially the bridge design? I like them. I don't honestly, they 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 don't stand out to me too much because they just feel like spaceships right. and other shows a little bit. Like I feel like you could pull them yeah. out of Star Trek and put yeah. them in another series and you go, oh yeah, that works with Battlestar Galactica or that works with, you know, whatever else the other show is. So I, th- I thought they were good and I, I yeah. think they seem as functional as any of the other ships in that universe in terms of, you know, well, they don't need to be aerodynamic and all those things. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, they're okay. <laughs> they're ships they're there <laughs> they can go real fast yeah, i agree with you especially the external design especially does feel like it's just a ship right from science fiction but yeah when they came on and we got to see the we got to see the kamari jishran ship and they showed us the bridge there it felt like the the Vulcan ship design, the Vulcan set decor, costuming, everything that we see in Enterprise feels very, very Vulcan to me. I didn't really have anything to go on for Andorians. But somehow when I saw this bridge, I thought, eh, you know, it's 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 kind of sparse, but it's kind of Andorian, right? Because, of course, all the control panels are blue as well. The, uh, the bulkheads are gray and blue. Uh, they've got a blue light in the back as well. It's just blue. <laughs> These guys love blue, and yeah, it's it's you know, um, I I don't know whether it matches their culture or not. I, in my head, I feel like they should always want to be cold, and so I wish they were on a really cold ship, like that felt like home, and it was you know, it was just uh-huh. there was ice everywhere. Um, and then part of me wants every time they've got a you know who's who's gonna who's gonna fly the ship today? They have a fight. Who's gonna, you know, who's who's gonna be at ops? Oh, we'll have a fight! And so I feel like there should be a space for fighting about who gets to do what all the time. You know, is it time for lunch? What do you want? I want spaghetti. Well, I want this, and then you have a fight. <laughs> so like, so like on the Enterprise D, for example, where you've got the you've got the stations up in the front near the view screen, you've got the stations in the back and the captain's chair right there and you've got that big mm-hmm. empty space in the middle there's like a there's like a ring in the middle of the andorian ship where the fights take place right in the center yeah, every of the time bridge. somebody gets upset you just have a big fight it's great and then you're over it and you move on <laughs> <laughs> okay well that makes sense to me when you said you'd like the ship to be cold all the time and there would be ice there i, I was suddenly picturing in unexpected these Rillian ship how they have grass mm-hmm. on the floor all over the bridge i'm picturing snow all over the floor on the bridge of the Andorian ship and icicles hanging off of the, the Yeah, the I feel walls. like they, they, the, the bridges are too similar on some of these ships. Uh, you know, the, the Klingons, they just sort of make them darker. Um, they reflect their culture to a Damn. certain extent, but I feel like the, there's, it just could go further. I just want to see it go a little further and it looks very economical and very simple and very open, but then, it's it, you know it uh, they you know, they probably have to slap these sets together. They probably don't get a ton of time to build one of those. You know. Oh yeah. So the movie it'll be all ice. Just wait. <laughs> the Andorian film that's coming out. Yes, yes. Although who knows what JJ will do with Andorians? <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing, but I'm just imagining a hundred different things he could do with them. Uh, I don't know if they're good or bad. Well, think of all the lens flares off that ice. Right. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You said economical. I think that the bridge is economical in terms of budget for the show. That you know, like, like you said, they have to really quickly throw these bridges together, and if they're not going to use the set that often, they'll just you know quickly. Well, I'm a trying. Bridge, to, but know, I don't know. It, it it worked well enough for me, but it is kind of kind of bland, I would say. Yeah, when I when I think of the Andorian culture, I do think that's one thing that's missing a little bit. They they wear very simple clothes, and they you know it's cold, and they're blue. And, um, you know, obviously in, in track, pretty much every race is related to humanity somehow, right? The Klingons, that's our angry side. The Vulcans, that's our analytical side. And um, I don't think these guys are quite that literal, but uh, it's kind of a Viking culture in a way. And uh, I just mm-hmm. would have liked to see, it, in, it doesn't need to be that literal, but, you know, if you think about a Viking culture, they have a bunch of 
cool mastheads and sigils and runes and all these things that are everywhere. And they spend a lot of time on the things that they use in battle to personalize them. And even just that, I think would have been, would have made a lot of sense for them. Um, again, I wouldn't want it to be one-to-one like, Hey, look, mm-hmm. these are Vikings in space. But um, that, that that sort of idea there, I, I, I think could have been carried further if that is what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. One element of the Andorians that reminds me a little bit of Japanese culture is that they're, they're very focused on family. Mm-hmm. And and that's something that is they serving in the Imperial Guard is is a great honor for Andorians and they are sort of a militaristic society. So in in that sense, if you go backwards in Japanese history and you look at some of the same elements that have been picked up with the Klingons, which are the samurai, this the the militaristic nature, which isn't really present in modern day Japanese society, but was in the past I, I see that a little bit and then more in the modern sense well both in the in the old sense and in the modern sense of japanese society that that uh family centric nature of the culture is there as well with andorians although i will say in japan uh, japanese weddings do not require four individuals <laughs> like andorian weddings do yeah so what what is it there's there's two male sexes and two female sexes is that the way they work that's never really been on the shows. It it hasn't been on the shows per se, uh, but the novels have, of course, carried that forward and developed a whole crisis for the Andorians where they are in danger of extinction as a species because of this very complicated family structure that they have, very complicated reproductive process that they have as well. And uh, it plays out in a number of the modern series and uh, even gets carried over into the fall, the new series that has been running over the past few months. And that's kind Uh, of the reason there's less of them on TNG and there's less of them on, like you said, Deep Space Nine. They didn't make it on there because there just aren't as many Andorians anymore. It could be an explanation. Yeah, it could be uh, that that's how how it goes. But um, that's a great little bit of retconning right there. <laughs> I solved it. I solved it. Enterprise season five you was going to tell us how all that happened. <laughs> One other thing uh, before we move on to the next topic here, as we're just talking a bit about the Andorians in general, it's also interesting to me that they're from mm-hmm. a moon, not a planet. And and that got developed. Enterprise did a good job of of kind of further developing that idea and of course giving us the Enar as well. Yeah, I think it I think it makes sense uh you, you know that, that somebody's got to be from a moon somewhere, right? <laughs> and everybody's from the planet. Yeah. They're always from the planet. So it's nice to see that although it just sounds weird to say home moon. Like I got to go back to my home moon. The home That's, moon. Like, <laughs> right. I can't, I can't put my finger on it. It is an element that I like though that they put that in there because in reality I'm sure that there are a, a lot of planets. I mean, in our own solar system, of course, it's not an Ilma-class moon like Andoria is. But if you look at Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, these gas giants out there in the, the outer solar system, you know, they have planet-sized moons. Uh, some of them, we believe, have oceans underneath the ice and and actually have internal heat. And so the idea that... The thought that everyone has to be from a planet, you know, like you said, everyone's always from a planet, I think it's is how we think because just our environment here on Earth. But in reality, there probably are a lot of planets like that out there where there are moons that are the size of Earth and have environments that would be M-class in the Star Trek universe and races that are from those places instead of the host planet itself and it's it's another little bit of diversity that's thrown in. Yeah, I like Enterprise. that. I like that a lot. So, well, let's talk about the Andorians as part of the larger universe. And one of the big storylines for Enterprise, and it would have been a bigger storyline if the show had gone seven seasons, was the founding of the Federation. And we don't get there because we get cut off after four seasons and then they cram it all in at the end. You have Babel One united the Enar. Um, you've got things happening in Demons and Terra Prime, and then you've got the the speech that Archer gives crammed in there at the end of these are the voyages. A speech, by the way, that was so important 
that Trip Tucker was willing to electrocute himself so that Archer wouldn't <laughs> right. be late for it. Yeah, it's uh <laughs> so but I'm not gonna touch that. <laughs> yeah, I neither am I, not in this show. But we've touched it in many other shows in the past. But we we didn't quite get there, it got crammed in into the end. But what we do get with the Andorians is that and I think what's important, what's most important perhaps for me with the Andorian storyline, the Andorian Vulcan storyline, is that humans become like the the glue that brings the Federation together. So like on the one hand, you don't want to say that humans are the most important race in the Federation and without Earth, there would be no Federation and all these planets would just be fighting with each other all the time. But in a sense, that is what is presented to us in Enterprise, that it's Archer's connection with Shran, it's Archer's connection with Saval, it's his ability to stand between these two other races and bring them together that is essential for the coalition of planets first and then later the Federation to even exist in the first place. So there, there is something about the, the nature. And you, you made a really good point earlier when you said that each race in Star Trek, each alien race, represents a part of who we are as humans. And and that's what you see there, that somehow Archer in particular, humans, but Archer in particular, his ability to embody all those different aspects and then bring everyone together is what was so important. And the Andorians were really needed for that to work because if it were just the Vulcans in here, it wouldn't have had the same weight. Yeah, and not just that, but you know, Enterprise. A lot of it is about uh, humans growing into this place in the galaxy, right? Like that's and 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 you hit on something that always bothers me is that humans are so important and we're the we're the thing in the universe. And if people just yeah. em- embrace their humanity, everybody would be fine. And so you know, there's a little bit less of that in Enterprise, which I like. But but humans have got to grow into this role. But so do Vulcans and. So do Tellurides, and so do Andorians. Andorians, you know, are are they kind of <laughs> distrust everybody. They're in a fight with everybody. Um, I, I feel like it, if there had been another season, um, they they were setting up the fact that the Romulans were coming around, and the the Andorians were real mad at them, right? Yeah. Like they had a lot of reason to be upset at the Romulans, mm-hmm. and so how that was going to play out um, could have been really interesting. Um, so there, on the one hand, you have these groups coming together and growing as, as a society or growing at least to trust each other as societies. And on, you know, and then on the, the flip side of the coin, you know, you have, uh, you know, alliances on the other side of the universe that are still not going to be anywhere a part of that. And, and so it's, it's really good to see that they're not finished, just like the characters grow over the course of the series. So do all these species and, and sort of their place in the universe grows and changes. Yeah, that Romulan twist, I was so disappointed that the series ended because they were really setting that up. And the, the idea that the Romulans saw that the Andorians and the Vulcans and the humans were coming together, of course, the Tellarites as well, and were fearful of that what was well it was a great setup to lead us towards the romulan war which we unfortunately didn't get but we'll leave that for another show as well <laughs> as we as we rant about that lost opportunity but yeah yeah it, it's a very very good point so i personally feel i probably have made this clear at this point anyway that the inclusion of the andorians on enterprise really deepened the Star Trek universe for sure and deepened the show, at least the potential of the show as a prequel. Yeah, you know, the the Vulcans, when you meet them later, are so placid and peaceful. And yes, there's, you know, there's some times where you see some some different types of Vulcans, but for the most part, they're they're in that position already. And to see them actually in an antagonistic situation with another species is really interesting. And I think you learn more about the Vulcans through that and you learn more about their leadership and, and, yeah. and you know, how they got to the place where they were when you see them in later series and in movies. 
And you can't do that with just the humans. You need the Andorians to do that. And then, you know, same thing for the humans. You, you said, let's like you said, there's this little triangle and the Tellurides were, I guess, the quadrangle. They were in there a little bit as well. But, um, you know, you've got this, this situation where they're all getting something from each other and they all have a relationship that's different with, with all the other different ones. And, and they, um, you know, it's the, the growth is what I just really like to see. I know I'm repeating myself a little bit here. But um, it just was not something they did in some of these other series. It was, you know, every Ferengi you meet is the same kind of Ferengi. Yeah. And every Vulcan's the same kind of Vulcan. And, and, you know, nothing changes there. And then nothing changes as a society. It's just that's who they are. Yeah. There's a lot of people who talk trash about, uh, you know, planets that are all ice or that are all, are all lawn or that are all jungle because you'd have ice caps there just like everything else. But, like, it's even worse to have a species where they're all the same. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and it goes... Even to the point where the episode that always comes to mind for me when I think about this is that the fact that aliens are always dressed the same. Right? <laughs> if, our, if our away team goes down to a planet, everyone's dressed the same. And the episode that always stands out to me, the first one that comes to mind for me is Voyager time and again mm-hmm. at the beginning of season one of Voyager. And it's actually an episode that I, I like the episode okay. It's kind of an interesting story because I, I like stories about time loops mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, playing with time a little bit, but the people on that planet, the way they're dressed, I mean, not only are they all dressed the same, but they're also, it's like they have the same tailor as Starfleet, but he just likes to do more uniform colors or something, you know, right. it's like the shoulders are brown and the rest of it's orange and well, that's pro- like, give us some diversity here. Yeah, that's probably what aliens think as well, because, you know, here come the the Earthicans. They come landing, (laughs) and they're all wearing these same outfits. There's just one person on each ship in a different outfit. I don't know where they are, but everybody wears the same outfit all the time. What's going on here? Weird culture. (laughs) (laughs) These jumpsuits. They're really into jumpsuits. (laughs) They really, yeah. And they like bright primary colors. There's always What's wrong with these people? There's always something on their collar. Ah, A very strange society. Or during the TOS film era, they beam down. They're like, boy, these guys really like maroon, don't they? <laughs> right. Everything's maroon. <laughs> right. Well, although on the flip side, the, the, the Star Trek never seems to go worse than when they put on their street clothes. You know, they put on their regular clothes. And go, oh, that's that's what you wear in the future? Sort of potato bags <laughs> that are slightly tailored? Okay, great. <laughs> right. Or multicolored sweaters. But. That's for this is another thing that I think Enterprise did. They made an effort to do, and they did it with the Andorians. They did it with the Klingons. They did it with the Falcons, which was to show some diversity in the ranks of of the alien race. And I often complain about the Klingons. I don't think they went far enough with the Klingons. But as you get in the fourth season, you know, you do find out a little bit more that there are uh, scientists. Klingons, and of course, uh, in Judgment earlier on, you find out that there are lawyers, which you know, it was a good callback to the undiscovered country. But anyway, they do try to, yeah, diversify the Andorian views a bit more as well, which is which is good. You know, the other thing that I think the Andorians did in Enterprise, it was really important, is that they were like the final piece in the puzzle of allowing humans to break free of the Vulcans. Mm-hmm. And the Vulcans had held the humans down for all this time, holding back the warp program. And it was like this parent-child relationship. And of course, that's why Archer has so much animosity towards the Vulcans. But then the humans go out. But what I think the Andorians did by the the, the whole, the Pajim, the temple, the whole shadows of Pajim with the uh, spy facility and then Later on, as we get to uh, the fourth season, and there's going to be the invasion. You know, you've got you've got the crazy Vulcans who want to invade Andoria. The, the, the what the Andorians did is that they shed that light on the Vulcans, so that the humans could see what the Vulcans were really like. Because the Vulcans would present themselves one way on Earth uh, at the embassy, and when they're they're you know. When we see Saval and the other Vulcans at the beginning of Broken Bow, especially, and that's the image that the humans have of the Vulcans, and so it did. And the Vulcans placed themselves up on a pedestal, right above the humans, like they were, they were even ethically and intellectually superior to humans, and 
the Andorians allowed the humans to see that other side of the Vulcans. And it was important to see it happening as a third-party observer mm. between these two other factions, as opposed to just having those feelings yourself. Because, of course, Archer, I think, had those feelings anyway. But but you have to see it happen in action somewhere else. Not only that, but I think the, you know, the Vulcans definitely wanted to be parental and they wanted to, you know, show us the ropes and let us bruise our knees and tell us not to do all this stuff. And and then the Andorians were sort of like our buddies. We went out there and we gained their trust. And now we had someone who we felt like we were equals with. And, you know, we helped the, that sort of that running tally of I owe you one, you owe me one that was going back and forth the whole time is it, it means that you're really on an equal with them because you're not. You know, you, you don't, you don't, you never say, oh, your parents five bucks. Like, that's just not something that happens. <laughs> like they buy all the food <laughs> right. and they put the, they put the, you know, the, the roof Boy. over your head. But dad, <laughs> I really owe you one. Son, I owe you one too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you hear that so yeah, often, but your right? brother, your sister, your friend from school, you know, you borrow a buck for some candy and, and then it goes back and forth. Yeah. And so it's really more of an on par relationship. And then, like you said, when it sort of also reveals, like, uh, it's like the, if you want to take this analogy too far, the moment you realize your parents aren't perfect and not that the Archer yeah. already was sort of upset with the Vulcans at this point. But, um, oh, not only did were you sort of bothering me, but I realized that you were actively lying and that, um, you know, that there's a lot of big imperfections, imperfections with your society and that you're in kind of a war that you don't want to admit that you're in. You're so placid. Right. Because, yeah, Archer had those feelings, but Starfleet as a whole you know, maybe people were still not there yet and our, our humans on earth as a whole were not there yet. And, well, and, and you could tell even, even in Broken Bow, you know, in the, in the, in the pilot, um, they sort of put Archer out there. They bring him in the room like, well, you're going to handle these Vulcans. <laughs> we knew you yeah, would react. They like were this. already. And then I didn't have to do it. I can yeah. still be nice to them later, but oh, that Archer, he's right. crazy. And then, but that's the exact same reason why he becomes friends with the Andorians. It's sort of that gutsiness and that, you know, uh, the, the part of him that reminds you of Kirk, where he just kind of goes out there and does something on, on because his, his guts tell him to. Um, the, and that's really what, what the, you know, what you have, what he has in common with the Andorians in some way. Yeah. Well, you know that when the whole Pajum thing happened and, and Archer reported back and told him what happened, boy, you know, Forrest was like, yes, <laughs> in his office. Like, here's the evidence that we need. I knew you'd get it, Johnny boy. Right, yeah, and the whole rest <laughs> of the series, they're you know they're just bothering to Paul about like, well, you were there when this happened. This was your fault. Like, you had a freaking listening post out there. Like, it's not it's not anybody's fault it got exposed. It's your fault for putting it there. <laughs> right, absolutely. Well, so where do Andorians rank for you in terms of your favorite alien races in Star Trek? I think they're up there now. I think I I, I think I like them better than Klingons. And I think it's 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 almost like uh, who's in the bar or something, right? Like if Spock's in the bar, all right, I'm going to go hang out with the Vulcans. But you know, but uh, uh, if somebody else is there, maybe I'm going to go the other way. And so I feel like it's kind of one A, one B for me on those two at this point. Yeah, it's a hard question for me. You know, I I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of the Klingons because I. As I've said many times on many of our shows, I just feel like they're overall very two-dimensional mm -hmm. alien race. There's just not enough. You know, I mean, I I can go beyond the screen and I can try to imagine what their culture is really like. And I can say, well, you know, we mainly just see the warrior cast all the time on the TV show. And that's not what all Klingons are like. But just how they're portrayed on the screen, you know, I feel like it's it's just there's not enough diversity there for my taste I really like the Vulcans in Enterprise. I know a lot of fans don't like them. I like them because I think they're interesting people. They're interest it's an interesting race. I like it a lot better than the everything's logical and we're all we all have the same haircut and pointy ears and that kind of thing that we get later. Um I like the Cardassians as well. They're they're kind of an interesting race. Of course a lot of that's because of Garrick. Mm-hmm. It's um, again, like uh, not to take that bar analogy too far, but if he's there, you're going to go in and hang out with them. And maybe if there's another Cardassian, well, of course. You're, you're turning around and going back out. <laughs> I don't know. You know, if Damar is over there, you could go and you could go put back a couple of bottles of Canara with him. 
Yeah, I guess uh, where I'm going with this is I, I might have my favorite aliens, but the ones I want to have a drink with is Andorians. I, I didn't realize I was saying it till I said it <laughs> twice. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. Well, so it's that blue ale. I mean, we've been drinking it all night tonight as we record the show. And so, of course, you're going to go drink that. But I don't know. You know, I, the Andorians for me, they were just one of those races prior to Enterprise where it was it was the one of the cool aliens from Star Trek. But otherwise, I really didn't give them very much thought. I was excited when they came on Enterprise. I didn't know what they were going to do with them. But thanks to Jeffrey Combs... And his portrayal of Shran, thanks to what they did with the other Andorians, the other crew members on Shran's ship as well, and what they did with the the political intrigue between the Andorians and the Vulcans in particular, uh, make it now makes the Andorians one of my favorite races in Star Trek because they have a background, and they're 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 interesting, and you can imagine. Uh, you can kind of extrapolate from what we've learned more about their society, and you kind of want to know more about them. And, yeah, and so and Enterprise really elevated them in my eyes. Yeah, and they don't have that problem that some of the other races have of they were one way and then they were another way, and because they got developed, it you know in five different right. decades or four yeah. different decades or whatever that is, you know where it's you know yeah. like oh so and so took their run at him and then and then that was great and then they were in the movies and this writer had their run at what this species would be like and then you know then it was on this series and it was on this series and they're all a little different and they they kind of gets to be a little bit more controlled here and and um you know in a lot of ways I like the modern storytelling better there's a lot more gray area which I think is just makes a more interesting race too. So that's, you know, really getting to flesh yeah. out a race in this era, I think is part of why I like them. Well, the last thing that I have to ask you about Tyler, and we've discussed throughout the show, Andorian fight scenes and, and what great fighters they are. Now you were telling me that you actually did a little bit of a study on Andorian <laughs> fight scenes. And I thought our listeners, especially those who listen to the ready room would be really interested in what you learned because we have the running joke about, I will take your blood to Andoria. But you found um, some interesting information about fight scenes and a pattern which may contain a secret message. Yeah, there's there's definitely a secret message here. I just don't know what it means yet. So what what I've put together <laughs> is I was sitting there, uh, th you know, preparing for this, thinking about Andorians, as you will. <laughs> and... Um, I just started thinking, is there a fight scene in every single episode the Andorians that are in? And it's really close. And so I started writing them down and saying, here's this episode and here's the fight scene. And here's this episode and there, here's the fight scene. So um, I've actually written them all down and I'm going to go through them all um, really quickly. And, um, okay. you know, uh, we can... It, you, you can draw your own conclusions from this, basically. I'm going to put the data out there. So starting with TOS, there is Journey to Babel. There is a knife fight. And then there is uh, Gamesters of, of Triskelon. There is a gladiator fight. And then there is Whom Gods Destroy. There was a, a fight with Spock. And then, uh, oh, I'm forgetting the last episode they were in. There was really just a dead Andorian in it. No fight. The Lights of Zatar. The Lights of Zatar. There you go. Like the, the, there wasn't. They didn't really have a big role to play there, if I remember right. And yeah. then on Enterprise, there was the Andorian incident, which had plenty of fights. I mean, I, there were there was beatings and all kinds of fights. The Shadows of Pajem, there were masked Andorians in a fight. Ceasefire, there's a male-female fight scene and a spaceship fight. So dual fight in that one. Uh, <laughs> proving ground, no fight. And then Zero Hour, there was, again, a ship fight or a space fight, if you will. Um, in Kirshara, there was a... No fight, but there was torture, and they got Saval to say, I'll tear the antenna from your skull. So them's fighting yeah. words. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> in, in, in Babel 1, there's a fight with Tellurides, and of course, the the last fight and, and the, the biggest fight is in United, where there's the Ushan, or fight to the death, where the antenna actually gets cut off. <laughs> Yes, and of course, that is the episode. That's the fight scene that our sound clip from the ready room comes from. Exactly. They built it up. They saved yeah. the best for last. So yeah. uh, as it turns out, of the ones that they're really in, about every three out of every four episodes have a fight. And even it's three episodes on and one off. So there'll be three episodes with a fight and one without. Yeah. So I don't know if that's Morse code. I don't know if the writers are sending a message, but it's out there. You know, conspiracy theorists unite. 
Yeah, it's something. I mean, as we point our radio telescopes to the stars, you know, to listen to messages from alien civilizations these days, if we heard over and over, we would assume that there was a message there. And uh, that's what I'm getting here from the pattern that you discovered in Andorian fight scenes. You know, I'm going to be honest. I had to cut a couple of them out where they just showed up, sort of showed up in the background a little bit, but that's okay. This, these are the ones yeah. that they were really in. <laughs> well, it's just you know when when it's passing through like a heavy yeah. nebula or something, it gets broken up a little bit. So yeah, exactly. No, no worries there. <laughs> All right, great. Well, it's been really fun talking about Andorians with you today, Tyler, but it's not the only thing we've been talking about on Trika Film this week. So here are some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. A piece of the action commentary. Wouldn't that be amazing if you went to a solar system and Spock was like, okay, Kirk, you're not going to believe this, but I'm pretty sure there's a Death Star here. Yeah, I was going to say, you could you could just go to a Death Star, you know? And he'd be like, no, there isn't. Holy cow, there is. Oh my God, that's awesome. Earl Grey. TNG Season 1 Recap. And we get to see some junior officers that Lieutenant LaForge is, is now in command of. Instant pep talk and miss I don't know what button to push. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you leave the entire senior crew off. The ready room. Affliction and divergence. Yeah, the other interesting thing about that, though, is to compare the Klingon ethics with the Section 31 ethics, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, there are some groups within the Klingons who maybe don't feel exactly the same way. But then yeah. there's this group within the humans who feels completely different. And you kind of wonder what the Klingons think maybe about someone who wouldn't do this. The orb. Implications of genetic enhancement. Miles slowly kind of gets to know these other characters. He's a little bit more comfortable with them, but he's still kind of at arm's length because he, they don't have that normal sense of control, what yeah. we would call normal sense of control, that Julian does. To the journey! The Borg. Some people might really get on my case for saying this, but I think the Borg were bigger baddies and more threatening and more scary in TNG than they ever were on Voyager. Warp 5. Enterprise Season 3 with Larry Nemechek. All of a sudden, UPN got put under Les Moonves, the head honcho of CBS, the master TV network dealmaker, and kind of looked at this thing, and he was not all caught up in the goldenness of the 90s and the aughts, and he's like... You guys aren't paying your own way. Commentary, Trek stars. Alphas. Those TV shows were nerds. And nerds liked those TV shows because like, of what they were. And Alphas was actually a pretty cool nerd. And people didn't seem to like it <laughs> because it was just a little bit too tough looking. Like yeah. it maybe knows how to throw a football. Literary Treks. Slings and arrows, the oppressor's wrong. And I'm curious to see the next time I go back and watch Homefront Paradise Lost how much this adds to the experience for me, knowing all this stuff that was going on and knowing how much more involved Leighton's plans were than what we knew about just from the episodes. Matter stream. Star Trek Axelar with Alec Peters and Richard Hatch. If you've ever experienced war or any kind of um, conflict where everything is life and death, there's a certain kind of... um, resolve truth experience that you come to that um, I don't think too many people can understand or ever really uh, empathize with. And introducing our newest show, Melodic Treks, covering the music of Star Trek. Alexander Courage and the TOS theme. Rudden Bay in fact wrote words for Cottage's Star Trek theme song, not because he expected the lyrics to be sung on television or anything like that, but just so that by doing he could claim credit as the song's co-creator and therefore receive half the royalties from the song. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get your daily Trek Talk fix. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and you can find them in a variety of places, including on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can stream or download from the website. And you can get links to everything by going to trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory. So check out the shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner 
of the Star Trek universe. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us on Andorians or anything about Enterprise, there are a number of ways you can do that. You can go to the website at trek.fm contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come to us by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website, or you can go to our forums at trek.fm forums to talk to us and other listeners about Andorians, about Enterprise, anything Star Trek you want to talk about. I just ask you, please, not to start any fight scenes. <laughs> on the forums. We, we don't want that. <laughs> and uh, in social media, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekafilm. You can also find us on Twitter, where we're tweeting away all the time about Star Trek under username trekafilm. Now, Tyler, I've asked you this before in the ready room, but you know, when you're not preparing for a great battle with Shran, when you're not sharpening your own ice cleaver, where can people find you if they want to talk to you oh i have exciting news chris i have joined twitter so oh, maybe i don't the plunge. I, i've just joined last week and uh I, I haven't really been too active there yet i'm just sort of checking it out right now but it, you could be my first twitter twitter follower and it might be okay, really boring for a while that. we'll see but my, <laughs> my twitter handle is flinttastics that's f-l-y-n-t tastic like fantastic so flinttastic look me up Tweet me. All right. Okay. I'll do that. I, I bet what happened was the, the Twitter bird logo is blue and all this blue talk with Andorians, you know, as you were preparing, you said, I, I've just got to go all out <laughs> and join Twitter. You got me. <laughs> that sounds good. All right. Well, I'm glad you're on there. If you want to find me, you can also find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username, as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And as for the network, you can find me on a lot of different shows. You can find me, as I mentioned during the discussion today with Matthew Rushing on Literary Treks, where we talk Star Trek books and comics and interview authors. Matthew and I also do The Orb together, where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine, the way we talk about Enterprise here on this show. You'll also find me on The Ready Room every week, where I'm joined by other hosts from around the network, as well as special guests, as we talk about all five live-action Star Trek series and Star Trek news. And then I have my own interview show as well, called Matterstream, where I talk to actors and scientists and writers creatives, all sorts of people about topics that are loosely associated with Star Trek or inspired by Star Trek. And the latest episode is out now. Very interesting discussion with Alec Peters, and who is the founder of PropWorks, and also Richard Hatch from Battlestar Galactica, who everyone knows as Apollo on the original, and Tom Zarek on the new Battlestar Galactica. And they're doing a new film called Star Trek Axanar. And very, uh, what will be interesting to Enterprise fans about that is that Saval is going to be in this film. And they actually got Gary Graham to come back to play Saval. So he's going to be reprising his role in Star Trek Axanar. Uh, so that should be really, really interesting. Uh, J.G. Hertzler is also going to be in there, who, of course, appeared on Enterprise as well, uh, apart from his most famous role as Martok on uh, Deep Space Nine. So go check that out as well if you want to hear about the show. It's really, really interesting. That's great what they're doing. And I'm glad that they got Gary Graham to come back to play Saval, especially. Yeah, he's, he's another one of my favorites. He did a really good job. And there's really good character growth with Saval as the series goes on and, and how he comes to uh, appreciate humans. He doesn't feel as wooden as some of the, the other Vulcans do, I don't think. He, right. It feels like there's a real, a real I don't say person, there's a real Vulcan there. There's a real Vulcan there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. So, um, okay. Also, one other thing, if you enjoy the show and you happen to be in iTunes, please stop by and leave us a rating and a written review. It only takes a minute and it does help other Enterprise fans find the show as they search iTunes. You know, Enterprise is not the easiest topic for people to find. So uh, drop by and, and let us know what you think about the show there on iTunes. Also, before we let you go, I'd like to ask you to please support our sponsor who makes it possible for us to bring Warp 5 to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Now, Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from. And they have new titles coming out every week. Lots of new titles, in fact. And they have classics, current bestsellers. They have some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive, Federation, and Spock's World. They have something for everybody. I've been an Audible customer, Audible listener myself for 14 years, which is really hard to believe, but... 
that's how much I like them. And if you love podcasts, you're going to love Audible for sure. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just by trying Audible. If you go over to audibletrial.com slash trekfm, sign up for the trial, choose any audiobook you like. You'll get it absolutely free. If you decide not to stick with Audible after the trial, that book is still yours to keep. So either way, you're going to get that free audiobook. Uh, choose one of the great Star Trek books there or, you know, a current release that you've been looking forward to reading. Maybe you don't have time. You can get the unabridged audio version and listen as you commute to work, as you exercise, whatever you're going to be doing. Uh, so again, that's at audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for supporting Warp 5 and the network. Also, we want to uh, direct you to Andrew Allen's album, Smooth Federation. If you like the smooth jazz cover of Where My Heart Will Take Me that we use here on Warp 5, you can get that and nine other jazz renditions of music from across Star Trek by picking up Andrew's album. Again, that's Smooth Federation. It's a really great album. And you can find it in iTunes or on Amazon. Uh, Go check it out, whatever is your preferred platform for getting your music. Really great stuff there by Andrew. And also, if you'd like to get some aliens, we even have an Andorian for this, which is really important. You can adopt some aliens. We have eight different original alien illustrations by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. There is an Andorian in there, and that Andorian can be yours as either a badge or an art print. If you go over to trek.fm slash donate, we have different levels of contributions that you can make to help us keep the network going. And you can mix and match which aliens you want in which format, badges or art prints. And uh, we'll get those over to you. And your donations help us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. And we really thank you for supporting the network. All right, Tyler, thanks again for joining me today. It was it was a really fun discussion, and I, I hope I didn't get you drunk on Andorian <laughs> Ale. We Andorians, we can hold our Andorian <laughs> Ale. <laughs> you can. Although I think Archer can drink Andorian Ale even better than Shran can. Definitely. Think? He really throws it back. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, go get your glass of Andorian Ale. Thanks again for listening, and join us again next week here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5.